I'm not a very high achieving outdoors person. I'm, I'm very uh, enthusiastic, but I'm not that good at things. Uh, and I think a lot of people might be in that sort of space. You know, it's, pre- it's pretty big terrain. You know, there's, there's like 5% of people at the top and then the rest of us, you know, and everybody can identify with different things. So I try to speak to that. I'm Brendan Madigan, and this is Afterglow. Our fourth episode is a conversation with author Brendan Leonard. We were lucky enough to host Brendan in the fall of 2016, when he stopped in Tahoe City for his 60 Meters to Anywhere book tour. After a long stretch on the road, our show was the last of over 40 for Brendan. And even though he was pretty fried, he still completely wowed and inspired our community. For those of you who aren't familiar with Brendan, know that he's a pretty normal guy. He's an author whose primary work focuses on stories of the human experience and how to live the best life possible while having the most fun. He's the founder of Semirad.com, a website devoted to the average mountain pursuits of the everyday person. He's never been featured in a climbing or ski movie, but to that end, he's just like one of us, a normal guy who loves playing in the mountains. Perhaps most interesting and insightful for me was his unflinchingly honest assessment of his substance abuse, addiction, and subsequent recovery. Like many of us, he found redemption and identity in the mountains. From Homer's Odyssey to Moby Dick to Star Wars, our society has always been intrigued by the struggles and redemption of heroes. Storytelling's most compelling lessons feature a personal journey of struggle and ultimate redemption. We are all on our own personal journey through life, and I think it's a big reason we go into the mountains, to find both ourselves and look for something deeper. My conversation with Brendan was deeply personal and revealing, and I'm grateful for his willingness to share his story. He's a great example of someone who was lost, but found a way to live a fully realized life. So here it is our fourth Afterglow conversation with author and storyteller Brendan Leonard. I hope you enjoy it. How's your visit to Tahoe been? Uh, Thanks for having me. Um, It's been great. Uh, It's been raining, I guess, and I'm still fighting a sinus infection, but it's nice here. I like it. And you've been on the road for... A while since April, so it's yeah, I'm I'm exhausted a little bit, like kind of long term exhaustion setting in. So yeah, and this is the this is all book related. Yeah, for uh, for the most part, I have forty forty two different shows for my book tour. Um, people, the publisher told me after I had scheduled most of the tour, like somebody from the publisher said, yeah, most authors just do twelve events over like three months, and that's a book tour. I was like, oh, okay. I scheduled 42 events over eight months. Um, maybe overdid it a little bit, but you know, you got to like, you got to try, I guess. So that's what I was doing. I was trying. So that's a big book tour for sure. I think when I first heard of you was probably four to five years ago. And my homies had turned me on to your website, which I think was fairly new. And um, I think what resonated with me about not only your writing and I see this in your personality hanging out with you and here in Tahoe over the last few days 
is your full on openness and comfort level with being, you know, quote unquote, semi rad, which usually people who say that are much more rad than semi rad. But tell us a little bit how the how the website started and why you created it. Uh, so I uh, worked in the outdoor industry a couple as a at a nonprofit called Big City Mountaineers, and I left that job to to take a job as a copywriter for a technology company. And uh, I didn't want to lose touch with the outdoor side of my life. So, and I had all this writing that I didn't, you know, that wasn't getting published or these ideas that I knew people would never publish, you know, like magazines wouldn't, wouldn't publish them. So I decided to just start a blog and, and I was going to write one post every week for however long it took or till I got sick of it. And uh, that was February, 2011. I started it. So it's, it's going to be six years old. Uh, in a couple months here. Um, but I just started putting stuff out there and it was like goofy stuff, you know, like, um, kind of things that I noticed about the outdoors, you know, like the way we approach them and why this is kind of funny that we do this, isn't it? You know, or, um, you know, things, you know, jokes about us like suffering for fun or, you know, like the, the weird things we do in the outdoors and, um, just, just had fun with it. You know, I was like, wanted to be kind of a positive, fun thing for people to, or, or something to make them think on a weekly basis and, uh, haven't gotten sick of it yet, I guess. Um, so it's, it's still going. Um, and, uh, yeah, that it, it ended up being, um, I never approached it and thought this is my brand. I just thought, okay, well I'll get the Twitter handle. I'll get the, you know, the, the website URL and semi rad sounds kind of fun. You know, it's like, yeah, it's like not really, I'm not a very high achieving outdoors person. I'm, I'm very, uh, enthusiastic, but I'm not that good at things. Uh, and I think a lot of people might be in that sort of space, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty big terrain, you know, there's, there's like 5% of people at the top and then the rest of us, you know, and, and everybody can identify with different things. So a lot of work has come my way because of that and because of that stuff, you know, I, I wrote the website for two years before I got any sort of pay from it, you know, um, before I got any sort of sponsorship. And now I've had, you know, I have three sponsors right now who make it very good for me to, to continue writing it. Um, so, so that's nice. Um, and you know, if that goes away, I may stop, but like for now it's, it's super fun and, and um, I'm able to make a living uh, doing it. So. Well, I think it's really refreshing in our industry where we celebrate so much extreme, you know, uh, athletic feats, which are amazing and they're, they're, uh, we're all guilty of taking part in consuming those because they're rad. Um, but I think what is really appealing to, about your site and about your book and about just who you are is, you know, like the you're obviously just putting it out there. You, you have no qualms with, you know, your personality and who you are and where you come from. And the story gets piped into, I think, the website and the book. And just being super open, I think, is probably the best business practice you can pursue right because then if you're being open with yourself good things come from leading or following your heart if you will right yeah i think so i mean i think if you're if you're sharing you know it's you want it you want people to relate to it i guess you know like so i that's the kind of thing i try to share i'm like well somebody else must be thinking this or must be having this experience you know um and sometimes you hit a home run and sometimes it's not not as uh not as relevant as you think but sometimes it, it really is um but there's a fine line between, you know, sharing and, uh, or sharing something that you think people could relate to and then just straight up narcissism. So I try to, I try to stay on this side of, of, uh, you know, I want people to relate to it and, you know, I want people to see the things I create and be like, oh yeah, me too. You know, even if it's like 10% of the people who read it or, or, you know, ideally it's a hundred, but, uh, 
But if it's a 10% of, of those people, that's great. For the listeners who, who aren't familiar with your story, um, you know, obviously you grew up in the Midwest, got into climbing, which is, a, you know, complete segue to your book, which is a is an awesome and open and fascinating, I think uh, one of the reviews, reviewers calls it unflinchingly honest, which I think is uh, very um, commendable, but also needed in the world, right? I think too often we're willing to not talk about what's important or what's sensitive or difficult or maybe arguably what even matters, you know, because we're too busy leading our own lives or whatever. And for me reading your book, that was something that really stood out to me is that nothing was off limits, you know? Um, and you tell your story in a very honest and real, uh, relatable fashion, I think. So t- tell me what role does climbing play in your life now? I guess for almost a decade, I was pretty, for probably six or seven years, I was pretty obsessed with it. And, uh, I'm doing a few other things now. I started taking a break from climbing about two years ago and I've gone kind of sporadically doing, you know, I'm not, not obsessed. Don't have any objectives that I'm like, I got to do this this year. You're not projecting. Yeah. There's no, there's nothing on the horizon that I really, really want to do. Um, right now my current state is I kind of miss climbing, you know, like I'm kind of like, Oh yeah, I need to get out and touch some rocks again. But I've been, um, doing a lot of ultra running over the last year. So I did a, like a 50 K and a, two 50 mile races in the last year and um kind of works for me right now it's a different it's a different plane of exploration uh you know you don't have the i call it it's you know it's all the pain and suffering of mountaineering with none of the fear of dying you know because like you know most most of the time you're not going to die running you know so it's like but you're still going to a lot of interesting places in your own head you know and it's just it's just a grind and I really enjoy that. You know, I, I thought, you know, I, I didn't even, I kind of did the first one off the couch. It was a 50 K and I was like, my buddy had signed up for it. And I was like, well, maybe I could do that. And like, I mean, I've I ran a marathon 10 years ago. Uh, okay. I haven't run much since then. I can run a little, but you know, I have had these enormous days in the mountains where it's like 26 miles round trip, you know, parking lot to summit back to parking lot. And like, that really kicked my ass, but it was okay. So maybe I could handle ultra running and, and I have, you know, it's, it's been cool. Um, not really that fast, but the surviving it, surviving it as fast as you can, this is my, uh, is, is the thing that, that motivates me. Um, so, so I'm into that right now, but I want to, I kind of miss the mountains. I've spent the entire year touring for my book and I'm lucky to go for a trail run or, or do a little, do a little skiing or do a little, uh, climb or something like that. And, it's, it's felt like forever since I've done anything rad, you know, and, um, I, I skied Mount Adams, uh, up in Washington in June. And I feel like that was the last cool thing I really did in the outdoors. You know, that, that wasn't something I had done before a place I hadn't been before. I was like, wow, this is cool, you know? And, um, so it's been, it's been a long year of, of, you're like, you're like, man, I'm, I'm an adventure writer. I got to actually start going on some adventures again, or I'm, you know, what am I going to talk about? You know, like, so need to be in that space to, have that sort of consciousness and if you're not it's, it's difficult different yeah. kind of adventure yeah yeah i guess so and i think a lot of people would look at it and and say like holy shit that guy's doing it you know he's he's making it you know he's he's on a book tour and you know it's funny how we view those struggles yeah you know, regardless of or, or where we're at in our lives or perspective or what have you right right no I and mean, it's it's been great you know you get to talk to a different set of people every time you go out and you get to meet, you know, people will come up and tell you a really quick version of their personal story, you know, as they come through the book line and 
it's incredible. Like, I mean, you don't, if I had gone into a different career path, I would never have that sort of connection with people and you wouldn't have those stories. And, um, but at the same time, I want to, I want to get into the mountains a little bit, you know, like it's like, yeah, I would love to be in the mountains long enough where I miss that connection with people and not the other way around. Um, so it's kind of exhausting. I think, I think I counted, I've talked to like 20, I've spoken to 2,200 people and 40 to 42 different places this year. And, you know, I've probably spoken personally, shaken hands with like a good 600 of those people. And like, it's, it's a lot, you know, you don't want it to be, you're meeting so many people that they all blur together, you know, like, and you have this faint memory of somebody's story. You want to, you want to be able to remember it. So, so that's, yeah, I'm doing it. Yeah. But it's, I'm, I'm ready for a little break right now. So, yeah. Yeah. And so I thought at our show it was really compelling, I think, and spoke to the power of your story was that the length of the line of people after the show who wanted to talk to you, who wanted you to sign their books. Um, that to me is always awesome to see. And it says it struck a huge chord. Um, uh, when people tell you those stories, how do they influence you and, and how do you feel about them? Oh man. Yeah. Well, yeah. If, if people line up to, to shake your hand and buy a book afterwards, that is exactly what your publisher wants you to, you know, you're like, excellent. Great. This is working. You know, I didn't, I didn't just get up here and talk for an hour for, uh, for nothing. Um, yeah, people, people will say all kinds of different things, you know, and like, um, a couple people and, and sometimes it's just their opportunity to say I haven't read your book yet but I liked this other thing you did that I read a long time ago or this film you did the voiceover for or something which is super cool and I think one event in Denver there was like 30 people and two of the people who came through the line said uh, one 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 way or another one thing or another that you wrote or helped produce helped it made me quit my job. And I was like, Oh, this is the great, this is the greatest compliment ever, you know? And cause quitting your job is like such a huge, uh, you know, shift, you know, for, for most people, they're like, I got to do something different with my life. And, and if you're creating art that encourages people to do that and then they do it and then they tell you about it, you're like, you're like, okay, I've, I've made a little difference in somebody's life. You know, this guy and his girlfriend are no longer living in Milwaukee. Now they live in in Denver and they go snowboarding all the time. And that's, that's because I decided to write some blog about something, you know, three years ago. And that, that's really great. Um, and the, the book is, you know, a lot of it is about, uh, substance abuse and addiction. And, um, it's, it's almost without fail. Like, um, somebody will come up at a book signing and say, you know, I'll say hi and they'll say, you know, uh, yeah, I'll, would you, could you sign a book for me and I'll be signing the book and, and they'll say something like, you know, this came at a perfect time in my life or I really relate to this. And I don't really ask questions. I don't really want to be like, Oh, how, you know, like I don't want to pry. And I say, Oh, that's good. And then I kind of let them talk if they want to talk. And a lot of times it's somebody who's like, I just decided, you know, 35 days ago that I needed to quit drinking or I needed to quit this or, um, you know, I've been sober for 19 years or I've been sober for six years or, or something along those lines. And, and it, it's the coolest thing to be able to write in somebody's book, you know, above my signature, congratulations on seven years or, or whatever. Um, so there's, you know, I've met like moms who, uh, their kid is their, their, uh, main climbing partner. And they're, they're really stoked about the part my mom plays in the book, you know, which is, which is cool. And, and, you know, we, we kind of have a moment of doing that and it's, when you write that a book like that, you want people to relate to it on any plane that they can, you know, and, uh, 
not just if they're climbers or not just if they have somebody in their life or who has a substance abuse problem. So it's cool to see people taking all those different tacks, you know, and being like, I I got this out of it. I liked it because of this reason. Um, And I think that's super special, right? Because we all have our selfish pursuits of play, particularly those of us that live in the mountains, right? But I think if you're fast forward 40 years and you're in your last years of life and and that's what you look back on right i think that's that's what we'll remember as making a difference gosh i mean you hope so but you know it's like you know at the same time you can't like have a have a tally you're like oh yeah well six people said that i you know so you you just kind of try to sit with each one and say oh that was that was great when that guy said that you know it's cool to have been around long enough that it was a thing for them for a year or two or like one thing was really important to them or they wrote you an email or something like that. Cause you know, it's, it's not like, not like anybody's getting rich over here. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you're, you're getting these emotional paychecks and you gotta, you have to be happy with that uh, at some, at some point. Yeah, definitely. I, I think in many instances can outweigh the, the financial component, right? Cause that's gotta be hugely rewarding and I'm sure it's, been touching to travel the country and hear how you've affected people. For those folks who aren't familiar with the story, it's a story about addiction. It's a story about personal journey of redemption and and finding oneself right through climbing. How did that all go down for you? I mean, what was, I think, you know, in your show, you talked about hitting rock bottom and, and where you went from there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so when I was 23, uh, I started, I mean, I started drinking when I was 15 and then by the time I was 23, I was getting into lots of trouble and got, uh, arrested for two drunk driving, uh, charges in the same year. And the second one was, that was it, you know? So legally I had to go to treatment and, uh, I went and it, it was great. It was, Mike Tyson calls it the, uh, the best forced decision I ever made rehab. And I totally agree with him. Uh, but I had this, you know, I was living in Iowa. I had never really been, hadn't been that many places, you know, and uh, went to rehab for five weeks, did a week and did a week jail sentence, one week uh, for, to fulfill my like, uh, you know, sentencing. And then was on probation for a year, you know, so I went to grad school at the University of Montana and to study journalism because I thought I wanted to be a writer and I didn't really know how to go about it besides getting a, a, a master's degree in journalism. Um and uh, so I learned, I learned to tell, you know, learned to, to write for newspapers and magazines there. And that was a huge thing for me and how to pitch magazines, um, which was how I've built my career. Uh, but I think it was my first year there. I was in a creative nonfiction writing workshop, which was outside of the journalism program. And it was taught by this, uh, this lady, Judy Blunt, who was just happened to be a best-selling author of a couple books, you know, and uh, you had to sit down with her before the class started and, uh, talk about, you know, like, what are you going to write about this, this semester? You know, you have to turn in however many, what it was like four pieces or something like that. And, uh, you got to talk about, you got to tell me what you're going to do. We have to discuss this. And, and I said, boy, I really haven't done much interesting kind of the biggest events in my life in the last couple of years. I went to, went to rehab and spent, spent some time in jail. And she said, well, why don't you write about those things? You know, that's, that's a couple things that people don't usually get to experience. And I was like, yeah, they don't, they don't get to experience those, do they? So, so I wrote stories, you know, that were just, uh, basically accounts of my time in rehab and my time in jail. And, um, those were kind of, 
those were the first essays that uh, became the early chapters of the book, you know, years later. So when, when people say, you know, that, that was 2003. So when people say, so how long did it take you to write the book? I would say, oh, just, just 13 years, you know, like you just finished it and, you know, 2016 started in 2003. But that was, that was the first inkling that I had that, that I might have a story, you know, like that might, um, that you might be able to put in front of people and make a difference in some way. Um, and I read a lot, I read a, you know, a dozen, maybe a dozen rehab memoirs, uh, while I was trying to write it, trying to figure out how do you go about this? And and every one of them that I read, at least in the time, this was probably from 2004 to 2009, they were just like, they generally were followed one of two tracks, which was like, here's all the depraved stuff I did when I was drinking and here's how I got better. Um, or it was the experience in treatment that was, that was this, uh, it, it, which really is a magical thing, I think for a lot of people. Um, and and that's how, that's how I got better. So it's those two stories, but nobody was like, yeah. And then, you know what I did after I changed my life, you know what, you know what happened? Because I, I was living it and I was like, holy shit. Like I am having just an amazing life. Thank God I left that bar stool, you know, like, thank God I got out of there, you know? And, um, so it runs the gamut from just being like totally, you know, feeling like, um, feeling like it's unfair that I have to like quit, you know, partying, like, oh my God, I'm 23. Like, this is such a, such an unfair thing for me to have to have this taken away from me. And then, and then to look back on it, you know, uh, almost 15 years later and be like, I mean, I've been, I've been climbing all over Europe, all over the West. I've been, you know, I've ridden raft down the Grand Canyon for a month. Like I've spent like literal months sleeping outside, you know, like, you know, months of cumulative months of days, you know, exploring the desert and the mountains and like, holy shit, can you believe I worried that I would miss drinking, you know, like, yeah, I miss it, but, but holy shit, none of this stuff would have happened. And so the book to me was like this kind of story of look what can happen if you take control of your own story, you know, if you're like, okay, that's over. I got to do something else now. I'm going to, you know, there was a period of a good year where I was just like, God, this really sucks. I'm miserable. I'm lonely. I don't know how to meet people. And then from there, it kind of started to take off for me once I found something else to do. So, so I wanted the book to be that story for people, you know, like whether or not you have substance abuse issue, like if you have another thing in your life, that's this, uh, this thing that you can change, you know, you can do it. Um, and it's, it's painful and it sucks, but oh my God, does it, does it ever pay off? You know, I mean, for me, at least it did. So that was the story I want to tell. And I thought it, it would make it, uh, different from those, those rehab books that I had read. Yeah. And, and when you talk about taking control of your life, right, you were full on white knuckling the system, right? You didn't have much help. You were going at it on your own pretty exclusively, right? Yeah. Which is what they, they say not to do that. You know, like I went to five weeks of substance abuse treatment and then you had to go to one AA meeting as part of your exit plan. So I did that. And then, uh, I didn't really, I went to one other one, you know, uh, which was, and it, it just didn't, it was the wrong, wrong meeting in retrospect. I of course would say that nobody should do that. So I just kind of was like, I did have a tendency to do things the hard way. And like, you know, um, and I think that was one of them, you know, you're like, well, I know how to not drink, which is, here's what I do. I just don't drink. And then I go to bed at night and that's another day that I was sober. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a group of people to talk about it with and it was really lonely and really hard and event, you know, it worked for me, but 
I don't, I would not advise anybody to do that because it's a really, really unhealthy, bad way of, of trying to go about, um, quitting. Most people do so much better with a social circle of people who can help them through it, you know, with AA or sponsor or whatever, even therapist, you know, and I was just like this straight up, like, you know, a guy, you know, who's like, if if I'm going to dig a hole, I'm just going to get in there with a shovel and dig the hole, you know, and somebody may be like across the street with a backhoe that I could borrow and have a much easier time of digging this hole, but I, nope, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to stick this out and I'm going to keep doing it. And eventually I got the hole dug. So, uh, but it was, it was not, not easy. And you talk about addiction in the sense of, I think you had, you had called it, um, fun and then fun with problems and then just problems. Right. Yeah. But as you got into, um, your graduate studies, how did climbing play a role there? Uh, yeah, they, uh, so I just started to get into the mountains, like my first few months in Missoula, like just started to go hiking a little bit and go up to Glacier National Park on a backpacking trip. And then, you know, the next spring I went hiking a bit more and the next summer I bagged probably my first real mountain, which is just like a third class, uh, peak in Idaho that, it was, it was a huge adventure for me, you know? Um, and then from there on, I just started, I was like, wow, peak bagging, you know, like this is a thing, like you can just pick out, a, there's all these mountains everywhere and you can, you know, most of them you can just hike to the summit of. And, uh, I was, I was so excited, you know, I spent all this time looking at guidebooks and stuff. And, uh, you know, I, to the point where I remember I walked, there's, there's a scene in the book, it's very brief, but, uh, I walked into my friend Tim's house who he was my main, uh, partner I went hiking with back in, back in Missoula. And, um, he said, what are you up to today? And I said, I just had a meeting about my, my master's thesis. And he goes, what's it on peak bagging. And I thought, Oh, that's, that's kind of a good idea. So I actually did write my master's thesis for thesis project for the university of Montana on peak bagging, like mountain climbing. Um, and I didn't start technical climbing until 2006. 2005 uh, when I when I lived in lived in Phoenix and I worked at an REI store and uh, the guys there taught me to climb and I hated it and then and then I moved moved to Colorado and relearned how to climb and, and it, it stuck so over the period you know from what 2000 2002 late 2002 to about 2006 I kind of gradually got into the mountains um, and and learned some of the skills and um, 2007, I started trad climbing and that was like, that was the end for me. Like, Oh my God, this is all I need. Um, so it was, it was very easy to go on adventures after that, um, and, and find, find objectives around Colorado and around the West to like, you know, go spend a, a day or a half a day or a weekend doing. Um, and, and that was, it, it, climbing became this thing that just gradually or climbing in the outdoors just gradually replaced any, need I had to, to go sit in a bar and drink and, or, or meet people through, through partying, you know, um, and it became this totally became an identity for me. Um, it was, it was like the first thing I wanted to tell you about myself before, you know, what I did for a living, you know, for, for many, many years, you know, and it took me till, I think I probably started calling myself a climber in 2007. And then I don't think I was calling myself a writer until Jeez, 2011 when I, when I started doing it full time and even then it was like I'm not sure you know kind of looking over my shoulder if uh, yeah I'm a writer anybody is anybody gonna gonna fact check that you know uh, <laughs> yeah so it, it became it, it was it was probably the biggest thing in my life at that time and tell us about 
the rope. Oh yeah. So, so, uh, I guess it was Christmas 2005. Is that right? 2004. I think my brother had, uh, gotten, he had acquired all the, all the climbing gear he needed to, to basically, he lived in Milwaukee and he had done a bunch of gym climbing and, uh, you know, he got all the stuff he needed to, to basically go to devil's Lake and set up top ropes and climb. And, uh, he had, you know, gone a year after acquiring a rope and a harness and all this stuff before realizing he probably, he probably wasn't going to get into it. You know, he wasn't like finding partners or whatever, found something else to do. And he, uh, so it was Christmas. I hope I'm getting the year right here. It's, it's getting muddy for me, but it's in the book, but he, uh, he had this rope that he had just basically pulled out of the package and uncoiled and done nothing with for a year. So he threw it in a box and put it under the Christmas tree for me, uh, 2004. And I, I pulled this thing out and I was like, Oh great. A rope, you know, like whatever, man. Like it was like the, the biggest regift of all time. And he's like, yeah, it's a good rope, you know? And, and I don't know, I don't know if he paid for it or what, but it, I mean, at the time it was a $200 rope and this was like, neither of us were making money at that point. So I, uh, the guys at the, at the REI store I worked at had always been trying to talk me into going climbing with them. And, and I come home from Christmas. I come back to Arizona for Christmas and, so like, guys, I got, I got a rope for Christmas. And they, like, they said, well, that's the most expensive piece of equipment. You might as well go with us. And so I got a harness and, and all this other stuff. And, and they took me out um, outside, you know, to learn how to climb real rock. And uh, it didn't go so well for the first four or five times. And I really, really hated it. I was terrified of it. Um, and it took, I think I took maybe another a year off after that and then tried it again. And, and it really, really took the second time. But, uh, yeah, I... Uh, the the book came out in April, April 2016. So I still had this rope in a box and I had had this, this rope my brother gave me for, you know, gosh, how many years is that? Whatever, you know, and like that I hadn't, I'd used it for like a year and a half before I bought a new rope uh, because it, it was heavy and it was, you know, double dry. It was, it was really overkill. So I didn't really use it that much. So I ended up, uh, this, this spring, I got all these advanced copies of the book before it came out to send to people, you know, people, people who wrote blurbs for it or friends who were in the book and, you know, whatever. So I was signing copies of it and mailing them and still have this goddamn rope. So I, you know, I've been moving it from apartment to apartment at least eight times, you know? And so I I pulled the rope out of the box, cut it in half at the halfway point and I made mountaineers coils out of both sides of it. And, uh, I threw one in a box and, you know, signed a book to my brother, you know, something to the effect of, you know, thanks for, thanks for the gift, you know? And, and uh, shipped it to him. And uh, so now he has half of the rope and I have half of the rope. And uh, he's really, really stoked about it. Uh, so he was going to build a, build like a display case or something for the rope. And, and I was kind of like, awesome. You, you got the book too, right? Like, yeah, maybe you could read that. I don't know. <laughs> it worked pretty hard on it. Uh, but, but yeah, it's a, it's a cool, cool thing. And, and now at least I only have half of that rope sitting around my house as opposed to the, the entire thing. So that's a cool moment for two brothers. Yeah. A classic shitty gift from an older brother that was turned out to be a wonderful gift, right? Yeah. I mean, you think of all the gifts you get people and like how little difference any of them make, you know, over the course of like, you know, we're right in the middle of the holidays right now and like people are spending thousands of dollars and like buying people toasters and flat screen TVs and video games and all that stuff. And there's just like a couple of those things over the course of your life where one is going to actually, you know, change the course of your life in a way, you know, like... 
I, I imagine somebody's got a great story about, you know, food processor or something like that. But like the climbing, I mean, it was, it was like the best. It, it would, there, it would be, I would be hard pressed to think of something else that will, that will take the place of that as like the number one thing, you know, uh, in my life. And I think about that when I like try to try to get gifts for, you know, my, my niece and nephew. And I'm always like, okay, you know, I know they like these books or they like Legos and stuff like that. But like, I'm like, what about this old DSLR camera? You know, would somebody like this, you know, and what if this is, cause you always hear these photographers, you know, you're like, so what, what was your, you know, when, when did photography, you know, start for you? And they're like, Oh, when I was 13, my uncle gave me this blah, blah, blah camera. And I just started from there. And like, you want to be that, you want to be that moment for other people. Right. And maybe, you know, we're all trying, but, uh, yeah, it was a good one. You know, he's, he should probably just stop buying me gifts for the holidays. Like, what do you like? Why don't you just quit? It's not hard, gonna... hard to trump that one. Yeah. Right. Well, I think you're right. We do touch people in a lot of different ways that we don't even realize. Right. I mean, your book is a great example of that. I'm sure the people that tell you that it makes a difference in their life is a small percentage of the total people that it actually helps them change or do things differently. Um, but the, I think those are the special things we do as humans for each other, right? It's too too often that we don't do that. Yeah, I, I think of it as like we're all running around with like all like basically a tank of gas, you know. And there's all these sparks everywhere, and you you need like two or three of them to get you going somewhere. And like some of us are trying to make sparks for people, you know, and and hopefully one of them hits at the right time and it ignites for people, even if it's just two lines from somebody, you know, like. Alistair Humphreys, uh, the the British uh, explorer and author, wrote me, and he and I have a kind of a relationship online. And uh, he wrote me and said, "Great job on the book. I cried twice, you know, and that was it. That was the whole thing." And it's uh, awesome. Okay, dude. Right, because that's the yeah. shit that matters, right? I mean, I think we've all been lucky in the kind of the mountain tribe to have not only mentors but some type of invisible hand, kind of guiding us, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and that can be a little philosophical, but I think we're all lucky that way. So to then turn around and give it to other people, I think that's what matters in life, right? It doesn't per se matter how hard you climb or what, you know, rowdy ski line you've just descended, but if you're actually making a difference in people's lives, that's pretty admirable. Right. Yeah. I mean, people, people need heroes of all abilities, I think, you know, like, I mean, yeah, Killian Jornet, awesome, like very inspiring, incredibly inspiring, you know, but I'm like, you know, some days I'm driving through a city and I stop and I see somebody crossing the street with a white cane, you know, by themselves. And I'm just like, how did they do that? You know, and like, you know, that's amazing. Like, that's inspiring. Uh, And yeah, I think I think we could use stories from every, you know, every uh, aspect of the outdoor world, you know, I mean a lot of the people who are really high achieving athletes are, are that way because they have done whatever their sport was since they were eight years old. And, um, there's, that's great for a lot of people, but I enjoy a lot of the stories that are people who are kind of, for lack of a better word, fucked up, you know, like Andy Kirkpatrick is one of my favorite climbing writers of all time. And his story, you know, I mean, his book psycho vertical is about kind of, it's a, it's really, really dark, you know, and it's really rough how he grew up and, really battled dyslexia and like, you know, just coming from a poor place and, um, you know, and then eventually, you know, I mean, he's had two books win the the Boardman Tasker prize and like 
this guy has a hard time typing, you know, like dyslexia is like severely dyslexic. And, um, but you know, I think that's a great story because of, because of his, the, the second dimension that's there, you know, like, yes, we love the adventure story, but also there's a very good human story here that, that he, that he discusses. And, um, I really love those things. Yeah, I totally agree. I love that about our, the, the world we exist in the outdoor world. Cause you, you can have those stories and they do elicit inspiration. But I want to come back to the book a little bit. A big part of the book uh, that I enjoyed was how you spoke to your family. You talk about the tremendous guilt that you put your parents through, uh, but it's very obvious that they hold a very close place in your heart. You know, in your show, you speak to that very prominently. In the book, you speak to your climbing relationship with your mom and um, how has that evolved over over the last 10 years or say since the books come out? I mean, I don't know what other people's, you know, uh, relationship with their parents is like and how it, how it evolves. But I, you know, like when I turned 23, I had a real, I had a hard stop where you were like, I looked back at all the stuff I'd done. I'm like, man, you were a dickhead. Like you are just not a good person. Like if you, you know, they make you do this as part of what you're doing in, in substance abuse treatment where you look around and you like, you write down all the stuff you did wrong that you can remember, you know, and like maybe you hold back a little bit, but you get this pretty good rap sheet that you're looking at like, man, I am a dick. You know, I'm not a good person. And, uh, you know, you think like, you know, my parents, like I, I maybe lift them up a little, little closer to sainthood than, than maybe is realistic, but like I live far away from them. I don't see them every day. So in my head, they're like, they are saints, you know, like all the sacrifices they do, you know, for all the sacrifices they did for their kids, you know, the things they did. And like, um, you know, I I think if you get to a space as a, as a child where you look at that and you look what your parents have done for you and you get to a place of gratitude, the earlier you can do that, the better, you know? And, um, I happened to get there very quickly because of the situation I'd put myself in, but you have this period of your life where you, you see that how dark and how how bad you can be as a person. So I, I think I've been trying to make up for that for the past 15. And if I keep trying to make up for it the rest of my life, it's, it's a, that's a good thing, you know? Um, and my parents are just an extension of that. You know, I, I, I think it, you know, right before I left Iowa, I think my dad, um, bailed me out of some credit card debt. Like he didn't, you know, my parents don't have a ton of money, but he was like, I think he just put this credit card that I had somehow let, uh, go over, you know, like I'd lost track of, and I'd moved so many times, like the bill just never found me. And I was just like drinking all that. I didn't care. And like, oh shit, now they're trying to garnish my wages, you know? And, and my dad literally just took the card and was like, just give me the bill. I'll just, you know, put it on my credit card. So who knows how much interest he, he paid, but, um, on that, but that, that was a huge thing. You know, they moved me to Montana, you know, they helped me move to Montana, help get me out there. And, we were, I was poor. They probably didn't have much money, you know, and, uh, there's these two things, you know, that my parents did for me. And you're lucky if you get somebody to help you that much in life, you know, and recently I'm, I've been trying to make it up to them, you know, or, or pay them back in, in a way, you know? And, uh, so I took my dad this summer. Um, I was like, I feel like this credit card he paid off for me. It was probably like two or three grand, you know, at the time when I was 23 and, and well, I'll take him on this baseball road trip in the Northeast and we'll go from Boston to DC and we'll hit every baseball stadium we can. And I'm going to pay for the whole thing. And, 
And I'm like, this is how I'm going to pay him back. I'm sure, I'm sure he would take a check. If I tried to write him a check, he'd be like, nah, get out of here, you know? So I take him on this, this trip and I'm like, you know, every time we go out to dinner, I'm like, okay, this is getting to be, yeah, it's going to be pretty expensive. And I started thinking about like, yeah, but imagine the interest rate, you know, like imagine how much interest you would pay. And we had a great time. And I'm like, this is, this is, it was 11 days of hanging out with my dad, watching baseball games, exploring the cities, you know, and like, this is how you pay off a debt, man. This is like the most fun way to do this, you know? And, and I think, you know, we, a lot of us who grew up with pretty comfortable, uh, family backgrounds, I mean, mine wasn't like, you know, nobody was like, no family's perfect, but you know, like we didn't have major, major problems. And, uh, I think you can come out of that with like a sense of entitlement, like, well, that's what the way it should be. And I look back on that and I'm like, God, oh, thank God my parents didn't just, you know, didn't just kick me out, you know, and chuck me onto the streets or whatever, you know, at some point. So I have, I'm at a place of gratitude and I'm trying to, trying to have as many good experiences with them in the, you know, last 20 years of their life or however long they're going to be around that, that I can, you know, while we can still have fun, you know, so I'm working on, you know, I'm, I'm continuously leaning on my mom to retire and she's going to do it here in a couple of weeks. Uh, finally, I'm going to go into work with her and put in her, put in her notice with her. Like, yeah. All right, mom, you got this. You know, tell him, tell him you quit. You know, I thought something that was super cool in the book is your actual climbing relationship with your mother. Right. Um, you know, what you've done with her, what you're going to do with her. Pretty special. Yeah. She, I mean, she's always exercised a lot, you know, like that's been her drug, I guess. Like she used to run I don't know, four or five days a week for probably 20 years, you know, until her knees hurt too much and she, she couldn't do it anymore. Um, but so she's always trying to find new things and, um, you know, like what can we do together? Uh, so she, I took her down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon for gosh, was that like her 63rd birthday or something? We, it was her first backpacking trip ever. It was first camping trip ever. So we went down, hiked down to Phantom Ranch uh, spent the night down there and then hiked out the next day and she, she crushed. So it was like no problem. Um, and she's gotten into to climbing as well. Um, she went and took the belay class at the, the only climbing gym in Iowa, uh, with a friend of hers. And she goes rather sporadically. Uh, but every time I go home, I go to the climbing gym with my mom and, and we're, um, it's a unique thing because there's no climbing culture in Iowa. So all the moms and kids you see at the climbing gym are like little kids and the moms just go hook, you know, their son or daughter into the auto belay. And then the moms go and sit back down at the picnic table and chat with each other and the kids climb around. It's, it's kind of like a skating rink is what I compare it to. And uh, my mom and I, of course, are over there in the corner and, you know, like I'm belaying my mom and my mom's 66 and she's like working her way up some like five, seven, I'm, I'm 37 years old, you know, and I'm, we're dead serious over there. I'm like, you got this mom, you got it, chalk up, you know, like, and uh, it's interesting to look around and see, see where we've gotten to, you know, um, cause we're pretty normal family in, in Iowa and, um, she wants to do some things and I want to like, she wants to climb devil's tower, uh, next summer. So a friend and I are going to gonna take her up devil's tower uh, I've, I've a couple friends who are guides there and i was like you know what let's just let's just take my mom up you know and i, I said to my friend sagar i'm like well if you want to go if you just want to lead and place a lot of gear that'll be great and i can um i'll maybe we'll take aiders within we can clip some of that into into some of the gear if she's at a point where she can't get up or you know like whatever and if you place enough gear she should be fine and i'll climb underneath her so it's not like 
you know, I can help her through the, the tough parts or whatever. And he just goes, look, I spend most of my time getting people up devil's tower who have no business being there in the first place. I think I can handle your 110 pound mom. We can, we can do this. <laughs> so, so I think we're going to do that next summer sometime. That's awesome. But yeah, she just wanted to, she's, uh, fitness is a great, uh, she has this baseline of fitness that makes adventure not that big of a deal. You know, like that's a lot of people's biggest barrier to it. If, especially if you come from like flatlands, you know, like, like, like Iowa where my parents live, like you don't, you can't find a, a 1500 foot, you know, hike to go up like 1500 vertical feet to train for something. You got to like, but my mom's out there at the, there's like a lookout tower at this park, like two miles from their house. And she's up there just cranking out laps on this thing. Like, I'm like, okay, mom, that's great. That's like a thousand vertical feet. She's like, yep, good, good, you know? Uh, and she shows up and she's not, she doesn't get tired. She is, the, the technicality of some of the terrain is, is the the sticking point for her. But if you stay in shape and you're in your 60s, you can totally do all these things. So she'll probably get pretty bruised on Devil's Tower, but I think she'll she'll totally have fun. It's a great concept. And, and how did Devil's, Devil's Tower come to be? Is that her? idea we made we made a film about uh, my friend frank who owns the uh, oh frank in the tower yeah, yeah it's called frank in the tower it's he's uh owner proprietor of the devil's tower uh lodge bed and breakfast as well as he's been a guide there for 17 years he's been climbing there for 40 years and um, he's just a fantastic character just a really great friend and uh and i when the film came out online my mom watched it and that she just texted me great film how hard is devil's tower? Meaning <laughs> I want to go climb it. And I thought, Oh mom, it's pretty sandbagged and it's crack climbing, which you've never done. And you know, it's really, you can't really train for crack climbing in a gym. And I thought all these things I could probably say to be like, we shouldn't go. And then I thought, Oh, we, what am I going to crush my mom's dreams? Let's go to devil's tower and we'll, we'll climb it. It's, it's fine, mom. We'll do it. It'll be great. So, and she'll get up it. Um, it'll be, It'll be a fantastic memory for sure. That's awesome. So, yeah. And it is a absolutely beautiful short, yeah. you know, and how special then that it touches your mother yeah. who then reaches out to you to climb the same tower. Pretty awesome. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, well, and then Frank in the film is like, I think he's 63 in the film and he's he sails up that thing, you know? So it's when your mom is 66 watching the 63-year-old guy climb this tower, it's like, oh, I could I could do that, you know? Okay, mom, we'll try <laughs> And I love that about the climbing world, right? You have all kinds of characters like that dude, you know, you know, here like Dave Nettle. Um, I, you just don't get that in other sports, you know, maybe because our climbing is not a sport for us, but, um, you know, you don't have that in, say, the NBA or something. I don't know what analogy it would be, but... I mean, those, those guys are done. Like a football player, you're done, you're done playing football when you're 35, like... There's no more. You're not like you're not like gonna like leave the the Denver Broncos and go play rec league football for the rest of your life. You know, it's like you either become a coach or a commentator, or real estate magnate or car dealership or whatever. So you don't keep you don't keep doing it. And there's somebody somebody told me you know like climbing is this great thing that you know theoretically you can go climb the same thing your heroes climbed. You know, like yes, no one we're not gonna go climb the Dawn Wall, but there's some Tommy Caldwell first ascents that are within reach of a lot of people, you know, or there's places Tommy Caldwell has climbed where I can climb the same route and mm-hmm. have the same experience. And we can, you know, theoretically, if I were to run into Tommy Caldwell at a bar, I could talk to him about 
the hand crack on pear buttress in, in Estes Park, which was his backyard growing up. And he would say, yeah, it's so great, you know. Uh, so we have this, yeah, it's this thing we can do for the rest of our lives. And then it's also this thing that's, there's this, everyone's doing it together. It's not like, it's not like there's millions of people watching it and, you know, a few dozen people doing it like, like other sports, you know, it's like, we're all doing it, you know. And yeah, it's, I find ultra running is a pretty fascinating thing as well because everybody's run far enough where they thought, fuck this, I want to die, whether that's three miles <laughs> or a hundred, you know, so everybody knows that feeling. And I think that's why the cheering is so loud at the end of, uh, you know, ultra marathons, you know, for everybody's had that battle, you know, and maybe it didn't last 12 hours, maybe it was two hours or maybe an hour, you know, but we can all, we can all uh, empathize with that and, and get behind that person, uh, which is, which is incredible too. No doubt. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your inspiration. Where does it come from? Who do you draw it from? Where do you find it? Uh, I read this great quote by this guy. I forget. I think he's like a Navy, ex Navy SEAL or something, but it was, and I think his name was Jocko something, but I think he was on uh, the Tim Ferriss show. But the quote is essentially, don't count on motivation, count on discipline. Um, and I think like probably if you want to be a writer, you have this grand idea of what it's going to be and you want to do it when you're young. And I talked to my friend Forrest Woodward about this a long time ago. He's a really, he's an incredibly talented photographer. Um, uh, just takes beautiful photos. And, and I was like, you know, at some point, I think we probably got into the creative, you know, like lifestyle or like we wanted to be creative, we wanted to be a writer or a photographer, probably because we wanted to meet women, you know, and like, and like by the time I was any good at it and anybody had ever heard of me, I was like, I don't really want to meet women anymore. You know, it's so sad. <laughs> you know, like, like it's, it's great, you know, but I've, you know, I'm already, I'm very happy and you know, it's, yeah, I, I want to meet anybody who likes my stuff. You know, that's, that's fantastic. But, uh, I don't know. You just want to do it. And like, um, I think it's a moving target for a lot of people. So I, you know, for a long time I thought, oh, I just, if I just get a book published, then I'm a real writer, you know? And, of course, I said that to my friend Steve, who's uh, started Bike Magazine, or was one of the one of the founding editors of Bike Magazine. Worked at Powder, uh, started Adventure Journal, you know. And uh, he he said I told him that one time, and he goes, "You're already a writer." And I was like, "Yeah, but okay." So so now you're like, "Okay, I want to write." And I got this book published, and it's finally the story. I got it out there, and you're never going, "Okay, I'm a writer." You know, I, I quit. I'm going to go, like, do, you know, take a real job, you know. And you're like, what am I going to do next, you know. And, and it's always, there's always, like, a next adventure that you want to take or you want to go someplace new and try to see what it's like. Or for me, it's become different forms of uh, storytelling um, from, like, I'm learning, I've been learning photography and I'm, like, like, I've finally gotten to the point where I don't really suck that bad. You know, like, I can come out of... I can shoot a hundred, hundred frames and come out with like four or five decent photos at this point. Uh, learning filmmaking. I have a project that I'm, you know, like there's not going to be very many names in the credits. It's going to be me cause I shot it, edited it, directed it, you know, all the jobs, you know, and I wanted to learn all the jobs. And, um, you know, I think Chris Rock said, you know, when you start thinking about hiring people for your projects, once you get to the C team, you might as well do it yourself. You know, like who can you afford? And, when you have a project with no budget, you might as well do it yourself. So I'm doing that. Um, but I don't know. You like the inspiration at first, I think, is you want to be like, 
you want to be really big and successful. And I thought, oh my God, I'll be famous someday. And then by the time you dig into it and you start really doing the work, you don't really give a shit if you're famous. Like, I'm like, who cares, man? And I'm like, I'm making a living at it. I don't have to have a real job. I have freedom to do what I want. I can kind of pick projects based on what I think I want to do. And I'm getting paid to do this. So the inspiration is always like, for me, there's, I'm juggling several different projects at once. Um, and like, you're always just trying to bump one ball forward. You know, it's, it's kind of like in the things you do at the shop and all the events that you're doing, you're like, well, I got to keep this thing going. And what do you devote your energy to that day? Right. You're juggling in a way. Um, and I, I have no room for inspiration in my weekly blog. I can't just be like, sit around and wait for something to, to like the lightning bolt to hit me. I'm, I gotta always be thinking like, what am I going to do next week? And it's been a great exercise because it's also taught me that like not everything you write is going to be, is going to hit home with everybody. It's not going to, it's not going to go viral, you know? And like, you know, if you're lucky, like one out of eight, one out of 10 will get seen by a few thousand people. Um, but some of the very least successful ones I've written, somebody's come up to me at a book signing and said, Hey, I really like that. I'm like, Oh good. Cause I thought everybody hated it. You know, and, <laughs> um, there's this great quote by um, John Green who wrote The Fault in Our Stars and it's from a YouTube video he did, like a like basically a vlog. And basically he says, you know, like don't do it for the money because you're never going to have enough money, which is, which is true with everyone's life. You know, like nobody's sitting around going, finally, enough money. You know, like uh, you don't do it for the fame because that's never, you're never going to be famous enough, you know. Um, do it because you want to give gifts to people, like make gifts for people, like, make gifts and give them to people. And I I think that's what we maybe take for granted in a lot of ways, right? We can make a difference in people's lives just by smiling at someone and saying hello. It's huge. And it goes, it kind of goes sideways in life. But I remember, dude, watching, um, I think the the short is (coughs) 34. 35. 35. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should just say 39. Um, (laughs) I remember watching that years ago and, and not knowing, you know, knowing a little bit about Fitz and, and his, his deal, but then, you know, seeing that and thinking how fucking cool that was and how meaningful it was and, um, really how beautifully done it was. Um, and then to be able to sit down and chat with you, you know, is, is a pretty amazing thing. And I think you can connect the dots there on many different levels, but, um, I think your platform of, um, touching people through your work, whether it's writing or filmmaking is, is super special. Oh, and I mean, isn't it great that we have these, the ability to just put something out there and, you know, it, it reaches so many people like 30 years ago, it would have been really hard to do to make a five minute film like that. And like, you know, I never got paid never got a paycheck for that but it's been like one of the most rewarding things I've ever done as far as my career and it was just like Fitz and I were literally just a little free solo uh like five five thing uh the west slabs of uh, Mount Olympus in in Salt Lake and we we bailed out of the the outdoor retailer trade show early one afternoon went and did that and I remember we were like literally hanging there like hanging out on handholds and footholds and I think he said something about like, oh yeah, I'm just like really getting dragged down right now by, by work and not sure if this is really what I want to do, blah, blah, blah. And somehow in this conversation I said, yeah, I got this essay in my head that I, 
it's about things that inspire me. I think you'd like it. And I, I said something about, uh, old ladies who go out and eat ice cream by themselves and how that's inspiring. <laughs> and uh, I was like, I hadn't written it, but three days later I get an email from him that says the, the subject line was old ladies and ice cream. He's like, send me that essay. And I go, Oh shit. So I, I wrote it, you know, the next that evening and sent it to him. And they, he said, I think we got some footage that'll go with this. And that's what it became. Uh, they went out and shot some, some extra stuff, but like, isn't that, isn't that cool if that can actually just happen like that? Like, yeah. can, hey, we can make a film. Let's do it, you know? And maybe people will dig it. And some people dug that film. So despite the fact that its title is basically ungoogleable, like it's impossible to find on the internet unless it's through word of mouth. But We talked about inspiration. Talk to me about your mentors. I know there are some pretty pivotal people in your life, climbing life, regular people. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it has been so the climbing. I've had I had one mentor, uh, this guy Lee Lee Smith, my my good friend Lee, uh, and he, gosh, he's seventeen years older than me. I think I think that's right. That would make him. He might be older than that actually, but he's a an aircraft mechanic guy who just been climbing his whole life. And I met him one summer out at a sport climbing crag, and he said, "Do you want to go?" learn, you know, learn trad climbing, multi-pitch climbing. Do you want to learn how to place cams and, and stuff like that? And I said, oh, absolutely. And we just started hanging out and we've never stopped hanging out. And um, I never do quite say thank you so much, Lee, for taking me under your wing and teaching me everything I needed and literally everything I needed to know to go out in the mountains and have adventures, you know, be, besides backcountry skiing. He didn't, didn't do that. But other than that, you know, and, uh, it's a really cool thing because I think there's a lot of people who climb in gyms who would, you know, who learn to climb in gyms who would love to have somebody just be like, hey, want me to take you out and like show you how to do this and, you know, show you how to climb cracks and how to how to not die on a multi-pitch climb. And uh, one of the coolest things ever, you know, that, that he was able to do that. And uh, I never really said thank you, but I did, I did, uh, I got offered to write this climbing guidebook and I, these people said, do you want to write a climbing guidebook about multi-pitch, you know, easy multi-pitch trad climbs in the front range of Colorado? And I, my initial thought was hell no, I never want to write a guidebook. But then I thought, you know, Lee has this journalism degree that he's really never used. Maybe he would like to do it. Maybe it'd be a cool project for us to do together. And, uh, so I said, do you want to do this? And he said, oh, absolutely. And, uh, we did. And, uh, it was cool to do. But as far as, uh, writing mentors or creative mentors, I haven't had a ton of direct mentorship. Um, I've had, I've had people I've just kind of looked up to and, you know, from watching, from watching Fitz do what he does, by just kind of, you know, watching him have the, just the balls to try things has really made a difference to me in my career. Um, like, you know, he was a guy who's a writer just like me. And, you know, he started a podcast in his closet in 2007, you know, just like, I'm going to read this story into a recorder and I'm going to put it on the internet. And he did that. And people started listening and then Patagonia sponsored it. And then all of a sudden it's like damn near a full-time job. And then, then Fitz is making films. He doesn't know how to make films, but you know, like he's done all this really, really interesting stuff just cause he's been bold enough to, to say, I think I could try that. And, uh, to be able to, you know, see him do that has given me courage to try things too. And I haven't been nearly as successful, but, but I've, I've said, you know what, you look around at these, these film festivals and stuff and none of these people went to film school. Maybe, maybe a couple of them did, but like, 
you know, Renan Ozturk, I don't think went to film school. He just gets out there and crushes. Like he just tries so hard at everything. He's, you know, he's fantastically, he's really good at suffering, really good at, you know, uh, climbing and all these things that are, you know, have to do with mountaineering and climbing, but he also works really, really hard and is always trying new technologies and always trying to get footage and is not afraid to hump like, you know, 30 pounds of batteries in a backpack on some expeditions just so he can shoot all the stuff he needs to shoot to make a fantastic movie. Um, and you know, it's not this thing where you're like, Oh, that guy's so talented. You're like, that guy works his ass off, you know? Um, so watching a few of those people and, and getting to hang out with people like Forrest Woodward and watch him shoot photos. And I'm a slow learner, but I pick up probably one thing every time I hang out with him and, and it changes my photography so much. It improves like, 10 or 20% every time I talk to him, I'm like, Oh, so you do that instead of this? He's like, yeah, yep. That's what I do. I'm like, ah, here we go. This is, you know, this is a trick. Nobody's, nobody's like a hundred percent mentor. That'd probably be a faster way to, to learn how to do things. But, uh, yeah, I, that actually might be the smart way to go, but, uh, I'm, I'm taking little, little bits from wherever I can. Isn't it funny too, how, you know, speaking to Fitz's analogy of recording in a closet, which is hysterical, um, that his trajectory has been so well received by people, right? And I think it, I see it coming through your work and your connection to people where people want that. They want to be part of bigger, something bigger than themselves, I think, right? And those mediums give it to them. Um, I think is pretty cool. I think Fitz is fascinating. And we've, we've actually tried to get him to come to, mountain festival but it's the timing and the the finances weren't there but i mean he he occupies a niche that in the industry that no one no one does right yeah i would say so yeah they they were like they bootstrapped it which is really cool crazy Um, and then now yeah it's like yeah it's we're we're working on a a couple a project or two for rei in 2017 like it's going to be, we're getting the band back together. It's going to nice. be super fun. Uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's cool, you know, and whole another American dream story, the American creative dream, you know, uh, which is great. It's just stems from passion. Yeah. 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 We're just nor- normal people, right? But people in fucking Iowa, they've never sat at a table with you, right? Yeah. They don't know who Brendan Leonard is. They've read the book or, you know, seen stuff online, but... It's which is fascinating to me. Can't thank you enough for coming. You're a super compelling person to sit with and rap and you're real and that's fucking refreshing and you're warm and you obviously have a huge heart. So I can't thank you enough for coming to Tahoe, sharing your story um, and spending some time with us. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for giving a shit. This interview was recorded in November of 2016 at the Pink Palace Recording Studio on the west shore of Lake Tahoe. Brennan tells us that he hasn't quite climbed Devil's Tower with his mom, but they're shooting for it in 2019, and he is taking her on her first overnight raft trip this summer. This episode was produced by myself and Kristen Hanna, who is also our editor. Afterglow's music is provided by our sound engineer, and local musician Luke Funicella. Please check him out on SoundCloud and show him some love.
Next week's episode features legendary climber and skier Doug Robinson and noted author Chris Noble. The episode drops on Friday, December 29th. If you enjoy our conversations, please help us by rating, reviewing, and sharing the good word. We need your help to get these stories into the ears of like-minded people. I'm psyched. Okay. Yeah. Every time I do one of these, I feel like I'm just blabbing and blabbing and like none of it makes any sense.